0: have to understand that this
1: game has always been, it will always be, about buckets. Okay, welcome back to the Tough Buckets podcast. Uh, we were debating whether or not we should uh, do this episode this week or hold off uh, until another week. Too much has really gone on in the last, uh, pretty much like six days since we last recorded. That we thought it'd be good to just get on here and uh, get get a quick episode out. So I'm I'm joined as always by the A team, Sam and Jason. We're gonna run through a few topics today. Uh, I think we got to start with Sam's team down in South Beach. They acquired a new point guard to add to that team that we've been saying needs ball handling, needs a, a lighted, lighted up scorer that can come off the bench or even
2: start in some cases. And they made the trade for their guy Terry Rogier. Finally, the Kyle Lowry trade happened. I mean, they had been dancing around trading, and not that I necessarily wanted him off the team that badly, but <laughs> the organization had been dancing around trading him for a long time. He had a huge contract for an older guy, and um, a lot of fans thought just because he was he's uh, good friends with Jimmy that that was the only thing really keeping him on the team. Um, I don't know if that's fair, but I think Kyle Lowry being gone um, – and switching him out for Terry Rozier, who is obviously much younger and brings a lot more offensively at this point in, in his career than Kyle Lowry does right now. Um, and then a first-round pick in 2027. Uh, NBA fans are a little bit short-sighted, so we're like, yeah, whatever, 2027, that's a million years away, you know. Um, but hopefully around then, with a, even though Jimmy will be – pretty aged by then the heat should still have a decent young core going i mean rozier is only going to be 32 so y- you're still having a good team there that's shouldn't be a lottery pick by any means that they just gave to the hornets there um was it unprotected i believe so yes unprotected first yeah which right again there. like i even if they lottery protected i'm i'm sure in three seasons and we can check back then maybe but i'm sure they'll still be in the playoffs, if not contained at the level they are now. Um, but bringing Terry Rogier in, man, these last few games, uh, especially went once Hawkes uh, went down with injury, which you don't think a rookie would have that much of an effect on the offense. But Jimmy coming back kind of from that long injury kind of threw off the offensive flow a little bit, and then Hawkes, who's a big facilitator, went out. And uh, the offense pretty much ground to a standstill. I mean, there was games in there where – There was one where the Heat had, like, 27 points in the first half. Um, I I don't know if it was against the Nets or what, but this game, like, what is going on? So they needed an infusion of offense desperately. Rozier should bring that. I mean, they just played last night in a loss to the Grizzlies. Um, Obviously, there's still stuff to figure out, but a bit bit hasty to judge off one game. But uh, offensively, Rozier should bring... Uh, I mean, his stats, like Jason mentioned, uh, when this trade went down, his stats are very similar to Damian Lillard's right now. Um, He is like the most, either the most or the second most efficient pick and roll ball handler in the league right now. And you look at the, uh, who the, the pick guys, the rollers would have been. On the Hornets, um, Bam Adebayo is much better off of a screen than any of those guys is going to be. <laughs> so you should be seeing a lot of pick-and-roll action, both with uh, Tyler Hero and Bam um, and then Rozier and Bam down the stretch. Um, defensively, I mean, not that Rozier is a huge negative or anything, but Kyle Lowry, a lot of the reason he was on the court in big games is because of the hustle plays that he would make, the charges he would take, all those savvy veteran players you know, championship experience point guard moves. Mm-hmm. So if they can get Rogier to buy in defensively to get to the level of like where a Gabe Vincent was at last year where, yeah, as an on-ball defender one-on-one, he might not be able to um, stop like any dynamic guards, you know, you're looking at uh, a Dame, uh, Tyrese Maxey, something like that. But if he can hustle well, uh, play good help D, and really just if Spolster can get him to lock in, I think that – Certainly shouldn't be a negative defensively. What I'm interested to see here is how the Heat are going to handle a lineup because running Rogier and Hero at the same time, those are two guys with pretty similar skill sets uh, to both be on the court all the time. So they might bring Rozier off the bench. Maybe they'll start both of them. I mean, the Heat, especially since they picked up Jimmy these last few years are notorious for running a uh, ton of different starting lineups in the regular season so uh we're gonna see a lot of experimenting here i mean we could get a lineup with uh hero jimmy haquez nikola jovic and bam or you could take out jovic throw roger in there uh caleb martin although there's talks that he might be dealt in a trade here as well um i'm interested to see i've been here yeah so we'll see i mean the trade deadline's not for uh a little bit over a week here i think so we'll see what the starting lineup ends up looking like in playoff time, and that might change depending on who they're playing. Um, but I think this is a great trade for the Heat, and I'm really looking forward to the time after the All-Star break um, when they should be locking in and kind of figuring out that starting lineup to see what they can do.
1: Yeah, like you said, Caleb Martin's name has been you know thrown out there for another future trade that the Heat can possibly make. Uh, Austin sent me something last night that the Heat are close enough to the first tax apron that they can still make small trades with small contracts. So I guess I'm gonna ask both of you. I'll start with Jason. Now that they added ball handling and scoring, and that was probably the biggest glaring weakness that the you know, the biggest need that the Heat had was ball handling and scoring. And they just addressed that with, with Terry Rogier. What other holes does this team need to fill to make themselves a serious you know, top two or three team in the Eastern Conference. I- yeah, Jake,
0: you talked about, you know, adding the ball handling and then some more scoring. Um, a couple of things that I I really want to see, and and Sam touched on it about the lineups. I mean, it's going to be re- really interesting to see what Spolstra does with all of his machinations and, and different lineups because I think it's going to take a while uh, for them to get used to uh Rogier and his style of play. The one thing that I like about him this year in his role with the Hornets, he became a more willing passer. And I mean I think I think that's going to be important as he transitions onto the heat. I mean, I he was averaging a season high six and a half assists uh, through 30 games uh, with Charlotte. So I think he's going to have to take on more of that kind of role uh, for the Heat as as opposed to volume score. I, I mean, he's still getting up over 18 shots a game. So that's probably going to have to change a little bit uh, because Hero, you know, he gets up his fair share of shots at a bio. I think his I looked and saw he was around 16 a game. Jimmy's uh, uh, shot production has actually decreased a little bit as far as his volume. I think hmm. he's getting around 13 shots a game. But when you have two guys in the backcourt that are averaging, you know, almost 40 shots a game, something's going to have to give there. And I would think that as opposed to hero deferring, it's going to have to be Rogier a little bit. I think he's going to have to turn into more of that playmaker, um, setting up Hero and Jimmy and then, like Sam said, you know, running the screen roll game with Bam at a bio. I do like the prospects of that. I think that's going to be uh, really, really good. I think the one thing uh, that is still going to plague this team and Rogier's not going to be able to help out with that much is rebounding. I think a lot of times uh, Sam lamented last year during the playoffs was that their rebounding just, you know, wasn't wasn't where it needs to be to win playoff games and especially when you're playing Caleb Martin an undersized guy at the 4 unless they move off of him which you know is certainly a possibility uh but they they potentially are pretty small with the, with that lineup and there's a lot asked out of Bam to be you know the main rebounder and I think they're just going to have to ultimately bring in somebody and maybe that's what they do with Martin is Trade him you know, for a bigger body, somebody that's going to be able to hit the boards and help them out a little bit more, both on the offensive glass right. and, and I, the defensive glass. You're right glass. about
1: that. Uh, the shots, like the, the shot distribution in the backcourt between Hero and Rogier. I think the way they address that is bringing Rogier off the bench. And that way, not only does he bring the scoring, but like you said, he's averaging that career high in assists at six a game. That's what the Heat need off the bench. And I think that's what he's going to provide them. And I think you're right. They definitely need more help on the interior. I just want to get Sam's opinion before we move off the the Heat here. Would you trade Caleb Martin for, you know, a a big man that can get you 10 points, 10 rebounds, even off the bench some nights? I don't know who that guy is, but, I mean, Caleb Martin's had another pretty good start to the season this year for the Heat. I was looking at – I actually just picked him up in fantasy basketball to be my uh, end-of-the-roster type guy, and he's been – producing uh for me so I haven't watched as much heat basketball as you have Sam do you feel comfortable moving off from Caleb Martin because that's a player that you know it's kind of hard to come by now in today's oh
2: absolutely I mean and he's the primary reason the heat were able to close out game seven against the Celtics last year and prevent that you know 3-0 comeback didn't didn't he drop like? 30 I think he points had thirty-one that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that and he was, crazy. was huge all playoffs long, up until the finals. Where pretty much no one was huge on the Heat. But um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm looking at their roster right now, and the the thing I see here, like if Martin's getting a lot of runtime, then you're going to have him and Kevin Love, and then maybe uh, Nikola Jovic at the four. And all three of those guys have such different skill sets. Like, Caleb Martin, uh, obviously, is more of a – he's hes really a small forward, but they run him at the four for a more versatile kind of small ball lineup. Kevin Love brings spacing and rebounding, that veteran presence. And then I, I just am curious here because especially when uh, Bam was out with uh, injury in December – uh, Nikola Jovich got a ton of run. I've been super high on him uh, ever since they drafted him. I mean, he's easily the biggest project player on a roster of guys that pretty much already haven't figured out. Um, and don't forget, he's... He looks pretty good in that he? Time, did didn't look he? pretty good, and he's still two years younger than their current rookie, uh, Jaime Jaquez. So he was the youngest guy in the draft last year. i The way he's getting so much run time in the regular season, I mean, is known for playing guys a bunch of the regular season just to not play him at all in the playoffs. But clearly they see something in him. Um, If they're going to move on, it would probably be from moving on from Caleb Martin. Uh, Like you guys said, for a 10 and 10 solid paint defense guy, uh, because the main weakness of this team last year stays in place where it's Bam as the only real rim defender on the team unless you count thomas bryant who really has been playing at all um and if he gets in foul trouble like this the rebounding the interior defense falls off a cliff um so i i don't know I, i'd have to see some trade packages i haven't really researched into that i just heard uh this morning or yesterday that they were thinking about shipping him so i i'm not opposed to it uh, assuming they can get a return that would be favorable um in in the lineup moving forward.
1: Yeah, so it looks like Caleb Martin's making twenty million dollars this year. Does that sound right? I, and, Sam he signed a three year Yeah. or it was a three year twenty million. So he's making six million dollars. I this think year. my bad I was gonna say they really Does paid him. his contract
2: <laughs> expire this season, this off season?
1: It says uh according to spotrack.com, Martin signed a three year, twenty million dollar contract that would have been a year ago now, so I think he has
2: one more. One year more, okay. Next, because that's so he's not expiring. okay. Anymore. So if he was expiring, they might have certainly because he's definitely going to be getting paid more than that uh, on his next contract. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a yeah. Max struess type deal, about fifteen, sixteen million a year. Um, oh man, I don't know. That's a really tough decision. It's times like this where I am uh, sure glad that I am not an NBA executive. Um, that's a that's a really tough call. Um, you hate to lose that playoff scoring, but bringing in Rogier uh, might be their way of countering that. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah.
1: I mean, realistically, if we're, if we're being realistic with what's going to happen with the heat in the next, uh, you know, couple weeks before the trade deadline happens, what's going to happen is they're going to hold on to Caleb Martin because he's too valuable to what the heat want to do. And they're probably just gonna end up finding some big man in free agency that comes on and you know, no one expects to perform well, but does kind of what Cody Zeller did for you guys last year, but maybe at a higher level. I mean, that's realistically what's Yeah, even
2: Kevin Love uh, was acquired right at the trade deadline last year. Um, yeah. I've heard they're hitting the buyout market. They might be just looking for another guy who can come in and play a solid eight to ten minutes a game. Um so I yeah. And the Heat the Heat control the buyout market. Typically,
1: every season, you know, just the, the mid-tier players that are looking for a home, you know, who doesn't want to play in South Beach and be warm and yeah, play for it's, a contender. Yeah, it's
2: savvy veterans is, is what they're yeah, looking really? for, like guys on teams where right. they're either a youth movement or they're not real contenders, you know, um, and, and they're looking for guys who can just step in, provide some, some good hustle plays, uh, maybe a few things, actually, you know, a few traits, and then... Um, roll with it from there so we'll see honestly I have no idea what an eight-man nine-man rotation looks like for this team right now I mean you can guess at the players but it gets really hazy around that uh not eight nine ten spot on who's going to get play um maybe Spolster just wants to hold on to everyone right now uh so he can get a lot more versatility in the playoffs um yeah I don't know yeah maybe uh once once
1: Tristan Thompson's done serving his suspension for uh performance-enhancing drugs he can sign in south that would be a that'll fix that would be a
2: very heat move actually yeah i don't know how long that suspension is for but (laughs) how how funny is that really
1: to be tristan thompson in 2024 and taking performance-enhancing drugs just to be like the third string center on the (laughs) the (laughs) Cavs. People, I, I've seen on the internet Cavs fans are saying he's actually looked right. pretty good this year, so that explains, That's,
2: I was, that explains why. Yeah, I was listening to a, a Rusty Buckets yeah, video on it. YouTube about uh, Tristan Thompson. He's mentioned it in passing. He said, yeah, I haven't watched a lot of Cavs games, but Cavs fans have been saying that, oddly enough, he was having a bit of a resurgence, which is very strange <laughs> for that player at this point of his career. So now I guess it makes sense. So who knows, <laughs> who knows what uh, his yeah. future specifically is moving forward.
0: And don't forget, uh, Miami is an attractive place, uh, like Sam said, especially for veterans, because you can go there, get paid, and no state income tax. So, I mean... Uncle uh, Uncle Sam he he's not pulling money out of your paycheck like he does. I think there might be another state. There might be two or three states that have no state income tax, but can you imagine getting a paycheck and not having any state income tax taken out? I mean Yeah, that'd, that'd I know the
2: right. big ones are Texas and Florida and then moving forward as I'm sure they're going to do within the next probably 10 years here. Um, I believe Vegas also doesn't have a – or Vegas, sorry. Nevada also doesn't have it's a state Vegas, income tax. It's just Vegas, us Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's be real. The team's going to be in Vegas. It's just Vegas. Um, so – when you add that in, that will be a hot free agent destination as well. But, um, yeah, right now it's, it's like the Heat Magic and then the three teams in Texas are really the ones that get that no income tax right. boost. And our paychecks, you really wouldn't be able to notice much of a change. But when
0: you're making $20 million a year, uh, it is going to be a significant amount. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right, so uh, speaking of significant amounts of money being paid to people in the NBA, Doc Rivers came out of his coaching hiatus uh, and no. signed I, – I don't know if this is real. I just saw this got reported, but the deal that the Milwaukee Bucks gave Doc Rivers to come and coach for their team is forty upwards of $40 million. How How does this yeah. guy manage to keep getting jobs like that? Like – he wasn't even planning on coaching this year and the Bucks are just like, "Hey, do you want to coach? We'll give you 40 million dollars." <laughs> it's like, "All right." <laughs> I mean, he hasn't proven he hasn't proven anything in almost 20 years as a coach, but yeah, we we'll, we'll, – I mean, we'll, we need an average coach at this point, not I mean, Adrian I don't know. Yeah, basically the the Milwaukee Bucks fired their uh first-year head coach, Adrian Griffin, a guy who worked as an assistant with this team for years and had good relationships with the team up until this season apparently because it it kind of seemed like it started boiling over during the in-season tournament I think they lost to the Pacers and Bobby Portis had some not so nice things to say about the team and the coach and that was the you know the first step in the process of firing him uh he changed up the defensive scheme that Budenholzer implemented over the last couple of years and wanted to do things differently. The team didn't like that, and he ultimately surrendered to the mob, which is his team, and went back to the old ways defensively. And they remained a bottom ten, a bottom ten defensive team the entire season. I think they've gotten a little better, but over the last couple of weeks, it looks like. But I mean, really, realistically, they they weren't going anywhere with him as the head coach and. It's not necessarily his fault. He was hired prior to the Damian Lillard trade, so he wasn't really planning on coaching a team that had Damian Lillard on it. He was more ready for a team that had Drew Holiday and, you know, the the usual cast that the Milwaukee Bucks sported every year. So, yeah, they decided that it was best to give Doc Rivers a job there in Milwaukee. So now they're currently paying three head coaches in Budenholzer's contract, uh obviously Adrian Griffin's and now the gigantic contract that doc rivers has earned i don't know if that's the right word i don't know if he earned it i he was just uh,
0: I don't he was know just commentating
1: that, and all of a sudden uh you want 40 million dollars here you go so yeah i don't know uh jason what what were your thoughts when you saw uh initially when they fired their coach did you know that did you kind of have doc rivers in the back of your mind because i know i did and i was like no they're not gonna bring doc in right and then i see the
0: reports and it's like wow okay yeah, I I wasn't totally surprised because the NBA coaching carousel. I mean, it's it's a lot of the same guys. I mean, and that's why dudes like Rick Carlisle, uh Doc Rivers, Steve Kerr, I mean, th- these same coaches that uh uh Frank Vogel, I I I just don't know if teams are unwilling. I mean, here here's uh, Adrian Griffin, like you said, a longtime assistant for Milwaukee, right? He finally gets his chance to become a head coach in a great situation, a great roster, a team that, you know, is poised to potentially play for a championship, and he doesn't even get to the All-Star break. I mean, I, we obviously and it's not like don't know. He was know. losing games. Tied right. for the second-best record in the NBA. Right. Right. When you look at the record, it's hard to justify that move, but we don't know all of the behind the scenes stuff. And Jake and I you, you, we were talking uh on the phone and it's such a hard deal to be an NBA coach because everyone is getting everyone on the entire roster is getting paid more than you. Uh you you you're you're in a you're in a professional league where Like I said, you're potentially the lowest paid person in the huddle every night. And you somehow have to gain respect from, you know, 15 to 16 guys, maybe up to 20 guys a year. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do, especially, you know, with Giannis and Dame, you know, making 30, 40 million dollars a year. I mean, it's it's a really tough job. And that's why I have a lot of respect for guys like Spo and Pat Riley and dudes and Phil Jackson who, who have had success coaching in the NBA because it has to be a rough, rough job dealing with all of the different personalities that you have to deal with night in and night out. But to me, it's, it's just the respect thing. And maybe Doc, you know, I, I, his track record, I mean, he's got a lot of wins. It hasn't really led to a lot of championships, but, you know, he's been around enough great players in his time and has coached long enough to where he probably has that whole respect thing figured out and how to balance egos and and do all of that. So I'm not ready to write off Milwaukee yet, but I'll let Sam maybe speak on this a little bit because he brought up something interesting in the group chat you know, if you weren't sold on Adrian Griffin and you, you were going to and, and maybe they wanted Doc all along, why not just give him the job last winter? You know, when when you're trying to decide who your next, you know, or let this spring, when you're trying to decide who your next coach is going to be. I mean, if you were if you wanted to pay Doc $10 million a year over four years I, you probably could have got him, you know, when they hired Adrian Griffin. And I know Sam is not a Doc Rivers guy and never has been. So I can't wait to hear your opinion on that hiring, Sam.
2: Yeah. So the more I thought about it, I mean, <clears throat> my initial question was, of course, like why? Yeah. Like Jason said, why not get him at the beginning of the season, you know? Because um, now the, the Bucks have three coaches on their payroll, you know, they're still paying off Budenholzer and obviously Adrian Griffin, and now Doc Rivers got this huge contract. like That's a hefty bill for ownership. Uh, I mean, this move kind of reeks of desperation from the Bucs. Uh, and like Jake said, the record tied for second best. Um, they have had some defensive troubles, but uh, that is what's to be expected when you give a first-year head coach – you switch out Drew Holiday, one of the best defensive guards in the league, for Dame, who's not one of the best defensive guards in the league. Right, like at the beginning of training camp, that's not a lot of time to prepare your rotations and stuff. Um, I think those locker room problems that have been mentioned must be a lot worse than they're letting out to the public, um, because I heard they were the, everyone was getting chewed out by the players, like the the film crew,
1: the like, the young staff at the team, like, Giannis was yelling at everyone. He was, like, after the after games, he was scribbling on a chalkboard trying to figure out spacing. Just, like, de- pure desperation, like you said. Yeah,
2: and, and, well, I think that comment was made in jest, but when Giannis said the equipment manager has to wash our clothes better, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> wash our jerseys was, yeah. better, like, I, I mean, obviously, that's not related to their on-court play, but that's definitely giving – a hint at what's was going on in that locker room. So those problems must be a lot worse than they're really letting out. I'm sure we're, we're, Oh geez. I'm sure we'll hear stories about that down the road here. Um, mm-hmm. I, so what I think of when they, this big mid season coaching change, I think of the last time that a team did this in the middle of the season, a contending team where it actually worked out, uh, which brings to mind the 2016 Cavaliers who, ditched David oh, yeah. Blatt for Tyronn Lue. Um And not that that was much of a upgrade at the head coaching spot, maybe a little bit, but I don't know if that team – if that can really be used as a precedent here because, well, that team was amazing and also they had prime LeBron James. Like Giannis is great, but he's not prime LeBron James, you know. Um, I mean, LeBron could have made that work with no coach at all. Um, yeah, true. just down the stretch here, I – I don't know. I don't think this really changes much for the Bucks. Maybe maybe it raises their floor a little bit to where um, maybe they had a chance. But they were already floating way above they, the floor. They were. Like they, they didn't have to worry about I don't about think that. this is a ceiling changer. Um, and, and at this point, Doc Rivers has had so many struggles with playoff series. I mean, insanely well-documented on, on this podcast and all over the place. Uh, it's really hard to buck that trend at this point. Um, like he has gone far and above, proving himself. It, it's a whole different level. It's going to be tough to break that streak, even with a team as talented as the Bucks are this year. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I really am not a huge fan of this. Um, I don't think they really should have moved on from Budenholzer in the summer, anyways. But. Here we are, and and looking at the Bucks and hoping for a competitive playoff series in in the future. Here, you got to hope Doc Rivers comes in with some crazy defensive philosophy, um, which I, I don't know if he's really known for that. But uh, that that's what they're going for here. Maybe they just want a guy who can hold the locker room together and kind of let the players figure it out. Um, it this is just a strange move, and it's a situation that the Bucks put themselves in solely through their own decisions.
1: Yeah, I just got a couple more thoughts on this. Like Sam said, uh, the last time a, a winning contending team did something like this was the 2016 Cavs in firing David Blatt. So David Blatt and Adrian Griffin have a lot in common. Only one of them had uh, experience coaching professionally in the NBA. The other one coached overseas, and that was David Blatt. Interestingly enough, David Blatt got fired in 2016, January 22nd, and Adrian Griffin got fired on the 23rd. David Blatt was 30 and 11 when he got fired, and Adrian Griffin was 30 and 13. So the similarities, like Sam said, very, very striking. Is this Doc Rivers' best team that he's ever coached? Because I feel like we say that every single time he lands a new job, like when he went to LA and he coached Lob City. Like, oh, this team might be better than uh, the 2008 Celtics that won a championship. He like This team could be a real dynasty. That fell on its face for like three or four straight years. He goes to Philly. Embiid, Harden, Maxi, Tobias Harris. Great depth. This might be the best team Doc Rivers has ever had. Flame out in the second round. And now he has Giannis and Dame and Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez and all these weapons. It's just it seems like it's uh, groundhog day with Doc Rivers <laughs> here coaching these teams. I don't know. It just he always gets these extremely talented teams and you know, it puts a ceiling on them. Kind of like Sam says the ceiling is kind of like the second or third round for for Doc Rivers as a head coach in the NBA.
2: Yeah, and I think right I think what you said, this most talented team, uh this is certainly up there. I th- I would say that if you combine talent with opportunity because you look at some of those like Lob City Clippers teams and the rest that the West was so stacked with contenders at that point that yeah that team might have been his most talented but now you look at the East outside of the Celtics I mean obviously the Celtics look like championship favorites right now Uh, I don't know how much we can trust the Sixers down the road but they look good and then you can never count out Miami but uh, really theoretically if the Bucks can get over the hump of the Celtics this might be his best opportunity since that '08 Celtics team, um, but we've seen how this has gone in the past. Groundhogs Day, like I mm-hmm. said, we're gonna see them fizzle out in the second round. That's my prediction.
1: It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting if they play the Seventy Sixers in a in a playoff series because you know that's his old team, and we're gonna see who really gets the last laugh between him and Embiid, and you know that that whole situation.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna ask Jake. Uh, so, say they flame out. I mean, this team is obviously a championship calendar uh, caliber team. So, say they flame out in the second or third round, and and then there's grumbling uh, in the locker room about you know another disappointing playoff run, and and Giannis, you know, says you know we can't go through another another postseason like this. Uh, you're on the hook with Doc for three more years. I mean, did he, sign, I mean if, did he sign a multi-year deal? Was that what the deal was? Yeah. I was I was, oh, I, I was just I was I was just looking at this before we came on. And uh, what did it say? I, I thought it said four-year, forty million dollar contract. That probably is right. I mean that's around ten million a year for a coach. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I three, I, three I, and a half I, years, yeah. Okay. So what if it? What if it goes the way we all think it's going to go? Then you're on the hook with Doc for you know another two and a half, three years. I mean, what are you? Are you going to let him go and bring somebody else in and have four coaches on the payroll? I mean. Where does it end? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. And I, they're paying, I
2: according know. to this, Budenholzer's original contract runs through the end of next season. Uh, Griffin signed a multi-year deal coming into this year, so we don't know exactly how long that one's supposed to last, but that means they're paying three coaches at least through the end of next year for another year and a half here, and then two right. for sure past that, depending on how long Griffin's deal was. I, this is like the least appealing uh, paying fired coaches situation since the um, A&M football team, and they can always rely on oil money boosters to donate. You know, the Bucks don't really have that. <laughs> <laughs> this is more of a
1: Nebraska-type
0: uh,
2: yeah, situation. Yeah. We don't
0: have that kind of money, but we still pay all these coaches. Right. Jake, why not bring Doc in on a one-year – I mean – well, why don't you yeah, what? you know si- sign, sign him to a one year deal with some incentives, saying, "Hey, if things go well, we'll you know maybe bring you back next year." But why do you want to lock him up for that long? Because yeah, I, I don't. The get leverage
2: that. was all with the Bucks here. Like uh, Doc was yeah. basically retired, just uh, you know commentating games. Like he doesn't have the leverage here to demand that. Why why don't you say, "Hey, we'll come in, pay you a bunch of money for the end of this year." and then if we make it to x round in the playoffs or we hit x number of wins then you can come right. on for another year and we'll extend you.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, the biggest mistake this team made in the, you know, the coaching department was not giving Nick Nurse the job. They got the interview yeah. before the 76ers did in the off season. I guess they didn't think he was the right guy for the job wow. and they decided to go with an inexperienced guy that they knew in Adrian Griffin which he did Adrian Griffin did an all right job for a first year head coach I think he deserves a job in the league don't get me wrong but they really really messed up and not bringing in Nick nurse I mean look what he did he just turned the 76ers into the best team in the eastern Conference if you I mean with the best player I should say I don't right. know if they're better than the Celtics I, I gotta make my mind up on that still he's doing a great job there and now you're sitting here with three coaches on the payroll and unsure if you even want the one you just hired on the <laughs> coaching your team next year so yeah, that's a great des- point Jake.
0: desperation that's a great point
1: point. and also why can't mark jackson get an interview like why can't this guy get a job <laughs> in the nba anymore
0: why is doc that, rivers the guy right right i i don't know i i i just don't understand the fascination uh, with Doc I mean I I don't know I it, it doesn't make any sense but that's a great point by you Jake they I mean right now if if you you sat down with the owner with the Bucks owner and talk with him I bet that has to be what keeps him up at night is looking at the Philadelphia 76ers record knowing he had Nick nurse in the room and and missed out on him because, Wow, that that's looking like a, a monumental catastrophe at this point.
1: This is something that started to kind of creep into the back of my mind starting last year. I don't know if you guys remember the infamous Celtics versus Lakers matchup where LeBron drove to the basket, and Tatum obviously fouled him and hit his hand, and that was just how the game ended. I think it went into overtime, actually, because of that. And Patrick Beverly grabbed the camera and showed uh, – Picture yeah. evidence of the foul to the ref and got teed up for that. And I, the Lakers ended up like, losing in overtime too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they ended up losing that game. So th- then I'm like, wow. I mean, that's LeBron James, the face of the NBA for the last twenty years, and he's he can't get a call to end the game. I, I understand refs don't like to interfere interfere with crunch time, you know, deciding games with a whistle. I, I understand that, but it's it's LeBron James and. I know that seems counterintuitive. Like It doesn't sound that fair just because it's LeBron. You need to make that call. It, it should be made for any player, but especially LeBron James, you're not giving that call. It's, it's whatever. So a year passes, and then this year it seems like it's boiling over to coaches. Chauncey Billups tried to call a timeout late in the game. Uh, Sam actually is the one that brought this to my attention. I saw the video, and he obviously was calling for a timeout when uh, I think Anthony Simons was getting trapped at the top left corner or the kind of by half court and chauncey was obviously calling for a timeout and his guy ended up traveling and it was a turnover so it's like that's not even a missed call that's just not paying attention to the head coach of a team that you're officiating again you know that, that's just crazy to me. right and then uh Anthony towns dropped 62 points the other day was it 62 sam Is it was right? 62 yep Yep, 62, and uh, he drove to the basket late in the game against the Hornets and got fouled by two different guys, and, you know, that ended up costing them the game. And his best performance of his career ended up being a loss that will be forgotten because you know of, an, of another missed call. There was another one, LeBron was uh, taking it to the basket on a fast break and got, I think it was against the Sixers, maybe? I can't remember who they were playing but he got scratched on the arm so bad that the cut was visually bleeding from like a, right. a camera angle that was far away. <laughs> it's like what what's happening here? Like coaches are freaking out. Um I saw Mike Brown got ejected from a game and then brought a laptop to the post game and was breaking down plays that were missed by the refs. <laughs> it's like it's like what why is this happening? Like I know the NFL has its own problems but at least they take responsibility and you know, it's like it's not like we can find these refs. I mean, these these guys are like teachers and they have normal jobs. It's not like they're making million dollar checks. You can, you can hit them with fines. Right. So, right. I don't know. I, I don't know if I even made much sense in this rant. I just think the officiating has gotten so bad that players and coaches both are tired of it, and the NBA has to take some accountability at some point because they have been quiet through all of so
2: this. So here's something I might propose here because this is a huge. Uh, it, it's been a huge, like, overarching problem this year that is going to be tough to deal with every instance, like the, the Chauncey Billups trying to call a timeout. I mean, that's tough to – if mm-hmm. you miss it, you miss it. You know, that's hard to review. Um, but with, like, the NFL, so on turnovers and scoring plays, those are um, automatic reviews, Right. So we've seen it happen too many times, like you said, with uh, with Cat this week, with LeBron last year. And then I think of a clip from when Kevin Love was still on the Timberwolves and they were down three or down to the Mavericks uh, at the end of the game. And he tried to put up a three from the corner, either to win or to tie, and was blatantly like slapped across both oh, arms. Wow. I mean, that's like a 10, 11-year-old clip. about this. But that's another end-of-game shot attempt that shouldn't even been a shot attempt because it got blatantly hacked. I think maybe the NBA needs to institute some kind of rule where all plays at the end of a game or half or quarter or something can automatically be reviewed at the point of attack. Like, obviously you're not going to review, oh, over here on the corner, someone boxed out a little too hard. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like the (laughs) guy shooting the ball or making a pass at the very end of the game, someone with the ball, who is blatantly fouled and they miss it and the game's over and you know, you can't challenge in the last minute or whatever. Um, Maybe the NBA needs to institute some kind of automatically reviewable final play. I mean, they already do it for buzzer beaters that, you know, are close to, Oh, did he get it out of his hand before the clock uh, time expired? They already do it for clock issues. Why not on a game winning game tying attempt at the end of a game should that not be automatically reviewed to see if there was a foul? I like that. Because it happened. it's
1: not an easy job. I'm not saying that. It happens so fast, the fouls do, and you can blink and miss it. So, yeah, why not? Why not put it in slow motion and take a look? And if it's an obvious foul like it was, the Kevin Love situation, the the Carl Anthony Towns situation, like, go back and review it. Put time on the clock. Let him shoot free throws. Like, the fans aren't going to care if they sit through four minutes of review Right. for the call to well, because right. yeah. ultimately as that's you all the The end right. of
2: NBA games, yeah. the last two minutes of a close NBA game already takes like 30 <laughs> minutes in real time like I don't think anyone's going to be upset if you add <laughs> right. a few more, and you know most of the time that's not going to happen, like nothing's going to come of that, right, like oh he got it off clean and he missed, or he got it off clean and he made it, like nothing's going to really happen for that, I, it can take two seconds looking at the replay, oh yeah he's good, you know Um. so in 99% well I don't know about that high, but 95% of cases this isn't going to actually affect the game at all but in these few blatant ones like those could be game saving calls and people are a little too tough on the refs sometimes i think because it is a very difficult job especially in the nba with the speed of play but so what i'm saying is let's help the refs out a little bit through the replay official make their job easier
1: before i ask your opinion on this jason what was i gonna say why
0: can i think i had a i had a good point and it just completely left my brain Dude, you're not old enough for that to happen yet. I mean, you're you're nah, still, still young happens. enough that that, that, that shouldn't <laughs> happen yet. Happens all the time. But what I was going to say is uh,
1: <laughs> the difference between Carl Anthony Towns' career high in scoring being like a legendary moment in his career was defined by the win or loss of the game, right? And if they would have got that call right at the end of the game, he had a chance to go to the line and make the two game-winning free throws. And that would have capped off. Probably his best game ever, and a legendary performance that goes down in Timberwolves history. Instead, you lose to the Charlotte Hornets in a humiliating <laughs> fashion without, right? You know anything to show for it. So that's that's a huge difference, and we we might look at Cat differently. Instead, this game goes down as, oh yeah, Cat dropped 60, but you know he didn't play well in the fourth and couldn't get it done right. in the end of the game. So that, there's a huge difference in what, what happens yeah, and there. which
2: to be fair, in that game he yeah. all he really did not play well in the fourth. I mean he somehow ended up with 62 despite shooting two of ten from the field. Um, but yeah, he gets fouled on that right, and three chance for he had a chance for redemption. Chance for redemption and if you're the Hornets, like okay, so because he shot that three, so they're down three. He attempts to put up a three with a minute left, or sorry, not a minute, a second left, right? So if they review that, they call it a foul. He shoots his three free throws. If um, he misses, then the Hornets still win, and if he makes them, then the Hornets still have a chance to play in overtime. Like no one really loses here, except for the team who got screwed.
0: Yeah, I mean, all I really have to say about it, and Jake, you touched on it. Uh, the NBA hasn't done anything, uh, you, you know, hasn't gotten out in front of this. I mean, where's Adam Silver? I mean, why don't why why are we not, you know, addressing the issue and saying, hey, you know, we understand that there have been some missed calls at critical times. Of these games and we're going to get in front, get out in front of it and stop it before it gets any worse and do everything that we can to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen. Right. I mean, the NFL, you know, they have a set of their own issues with a number of things, but it's not with instant replay. Roger Goodell and the NFL have done everything absolutely everything they can to eliminate human error when it comes to the officiating. Yeah, not with the penalties. I mean, you're going to have pass interference and holding calls debated until the end of time. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. You're just going to have to live with it. But as far as the scoring plays go and everything else that could happen, like Sam said, at the end of the half, at the end of a quarter, at the end of a game, they the NFL has done everything Everything to eliminate human error and by far, you know, has done the best job among any sports uh, franchise as far as taking care of that. The NBA has the capability to do the same thing. It's time to step up and get the job done. I mean, like Jake said, there's no excuse for it. They They have no excuse for it. They have all of the technology available that the NFL does. Adam Silver, come out, make this right, take... You know, and and the NBA, the NFL and the NBA, hockey, I mean, any professional sports league minus baseball is extremely difficult to officiate because you are dealing with huge human beings moving at light speed. So yeah, you're going to miss calls, but implement a system, get it in place to where you can correct these things and not you know, make these official officials errors part of the story as far as writing the narrative of not only Anthony uh, Kat's career, you know, like you said, that's a that's a career changing night for him, you know, and then writing, you know, affecting the ends of these games. I mean, you just have to do something about it. I mean, it's time to time to move forward into the, you know, 21st century.
1: Can you guys even remember the last time you saw a call get made the wrong way in the NFL? Like I understand some of the player safety things people don't always agree with, but just a real like a, a call, like an, a, a toe going out of bounds on stepping out of bounds, like it all gets it all gets caught in real time right. on camera. And and they always make the right call. And that's yeah. yeah. You know, it might it might tack on some extra time to the game, but I can't remember the last time I saw an NFL officiating crew really get the call wrong i mean the thing that happened with the lions with, uh, yeah you know, their guy being eligible i mean that's a whole different thing but i'm talking like a real-time call on the field i, I can't remember the last time i saw a crazy wrong yeah
2: one. and that's not like a that that one isn't a call in the way that this cat foul or not foul was a call that's right. like a whole that's more like the billups thing where that's just something that I, I mean the ref screwed up plain and simple but it's not like that was oh they Missed a holding penalty or something. It was just they screwed up how to just do their job, you know. Um, and that's yeah. a lot easier and to deal as with. As an
1: official, you have to know you have to know that the team with the ball has timeouts left. And if you see them getting trapped, it's like in the back of your yeah. mind, you should be thinking, you know, the coach might be getting ready to call a timeout or here. I gotta e- be if you hear them
2: calling it. a timeout, give them a timeout anyway because you know, worst case, they don't have one. Oh no, they get a technical. You know, like if right. if they're calling a yeah. timeout, like yeah, just. Just give it to them, and if they had one, then it works. If they didn't have one, then you give them a tee, and the other team probably wins. Honestly, Jake, the last
0: time that I can remember, and I and I may be wrong, you know, because I I forget a lot of things, but the last time I can remember an NFL game being completely changed by a missed call was, and, and Sam, you, you remember a lot of this stuff. I, I think it was 2014 uh Des Bryant right in the playoffs yeah. when they rule when they ruled when they ruled he didn't have possession of the ball and that completely changed the outcome of the game and Dallas fans <laughs> would honestly argue that it's changed their franchise history because I, not a lot has gone right since then but they literally changed the rules because of that but Ever since that game in 2014, I I can't remember another time where an outcome of an NFL game was disputed. If we're
2: talking about actual reviewable, like, reviewed calls that went to the replay booth and still came out wrong, that's the only one I can think of. Obviously, like, the most notorious no-call in NFL history with that Saints-Rams uh, NFC Championship game uh, back in 2018, um, you know, my... my Oh oh God, all I have to do is bring that up to my old roommate and he just fumes. <laughs> He's a big Saints fan, you know, um, that no call on the PI, which still the Saints had a chance to win in overtime, which people forget right. a lot. But um, if we're talking about actual reviewable calls that really change the outcome of not just the game, but like Jason said, probably the trajectory of an entire franchise, that's the last one I can think of. And it's been like 10 years.
0: Right. 10 years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we could sit here and complain about NBA officiating for another thirty minutes, I think. We could think of first accounts and stories. I mean I, I guess. Let's I'll talk about here. let's
0: let's let let's talk for the next half an hour about how the Steelers got <laughs> jobbed in Buffalo by the officials.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was the refs' fault. I do <laughs> yeah. before we uh move on for NBA stuff, uh cat dropping sixty two and a loss uh made me think of a, a a quick trivia thing, and this is gonna be a tough one. I don't know. I would not be able to get more than Uh, well, I would have got two of these guys. But so since, I mean, so Carl Anthony Towns dropped 62 points and lost, right? Uh, In all of NBA history, if we take out Wilt Chamberlain, because as we do with a lot of stats that cover NBA history, you got to kind of take him out (laughs) to make it fair for everyone else. Um, By the way, Wilt dropped sixty. 61 or more points and lost 11 different times, which is absolutely insane, (laughs) including the record. He had a 78 point game and lost once. Um, but so if you take him out of the picture, Holy crap, uh, cat has the fifth most points in a loss at 62. Uh, do you guys know who the other four would be? Um, no, man. And I think I would have been able to get two of these, the other two, no way.
1: Okay. So it, is one of them LeBron James in game 1
2: of the finals. That one was like that the, was like 51.
1: Oh. Oh, he had 51. Really? Okay. okay. Oh, so wait, wait, wait. Did you say 60 plus? Sorry, uh yeah,
2: more than 62. So there's a few at 60, but if, oh, so like you. 63 wow. or more.
0: Didn't uh didn't MJ do it in a playoff
2: game when they lost to the Celtics? He did. He dropped 63 against the Celtics uh and lost yeah. and then also in 1993 dropped 64 in a regular season game and lost. Um so that's that's okay, twice that's one of them. MJ. I, know,
1: I think I know one. Devin Booker lost that 70-point game yes, to the Celtics. Yes, he did.
2: He lost in uh March oh. of 2017. He dropped 70 on the Celtics and lost and these other two guys if i'll let you know actually oddly enough they happened on the same day i won't tell you the year because uh, until you take a guess at it
0: oh man (sighs) i the other two guys i had in mind were ai and kobe just because you know when you think of high volume scores I mean, th- those two guys came to mind. But I have a feeling Sam's going back into the golden days of the NBA, maybe in the 60s or 70s, when... And you said it happened on the same night, Yeah, Sam? I'll,
2: I'll I'll give you all a hint. So, April 9th, 1978, two guys dropped at least 63 oh, points man. and lost. Obviously in separate games, but... Wow. Yeah. Okay. Who were the All-Stars in 78? So, that would have oh, been... Man. I, I'm going to... How about is George Gervin one of them? He is. Uh April 9th, 1978. Nice. He had what? sixty-three points in a game and, and lost. That's the last day of the regular season that year. The other guy in on the same day in nineteen seventy-eight, he set the well, if you take Wilt out of the picture, that's the most points ever scored in the loss at seventy three.
0: Mmm. Nineteen seventy eight.
1: Seventy in seventy eight someone scored. Sixty plus points in a loss. Someone besides Jordan. 70, seventy-three points. They scored
0: seventy-three. Yeah.
1: Oh, you said seventy-three. Seventy-three
2: points in loss. Seventy-three, Ooh. dude. And this this was also wow. in the seventies. You uh, said on the same day in nineteen seventy-eight. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Um, okay. Can can we get a team hint? Uh, yes. The Nuggets. They lost to the Pistons this day.
0: Nuggets. Oh, would it have been Alex English?
2: Uh, Not Alex English. Now, now, I was I was teammate? gonna
0: I, I was I was gonna guess him too. Ale- there was uh, not not uh, not Dan Issel. No,
2: Dan Issel was on the team, but he only had fourteen that night.
0: Okay, who was the third guy uh, on
1: that team? They had three All Stars. The Nuggets. Oh, now I
0: can't remember. Was it? Uh, to... Damn, I can't remember. 1978 Denver Nuggets. Man, I'm I'm. Um, I, I'm drawing a blank. It wasn't it was, uh, uh, the 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 third guy's last name was like Thompson. I'm pretty it sure it was Thompson.
2: David Thompson. Wait, David, is okay. David, David Thompson, Thompson did had it? 73 points yeah. in 1978 and lost to the Whew. Detroit Pistons, who at that point were still pre-Isaiah Thomas. Um, they gave they lost 139 was there a to 100. Line? No three point line. He went so David yeah. Thompson went 28 for 38 from the field. 17 of 20 from the free throw line scored 73 points and still lost to the not playoff bound pistons that year
0: he was a crazy score oh yeah it was he 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 was so good especially coming out of college i mean he was i think he might have averaged 30 plus points uh in his last two college seasons if i remember right that's clay's old man right
2: no that was michael thompson
0: is that is is yeah. Mike, that's Michael Thompson. Okay, this is David Thompson. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was Wait. he was a crazy good score. Didn't Bradley Beal drop 70 he points was, or 60 points so or something in a loss, too? Beal,
2: Damian Lillard, and Kemba Walker, uh, and Bernard King, actually, have all dropped 60 and lost, but that was less than Cats, uh, oh, 62. Okay. Less than yep. Cats, yeah. And wow. then, just gotcha. in case you yeah, were wondering, so Wilt has... Uh, this is just the list of his scoring, so... <laughs> Uh, he had 78 and lost 72, 70, 67 three times, 65 63 <laughs> twice, uh 62, 61 and then 59 four times all in losses.
0: That's wow. that is So like abs- I said that that's a great
2: that stat—that's great bar trivia. Oh yeah, right there. that stat gets absolutely tanked. Like a lot of all-time NBA stats, it gets absolutely tanked once you once you uh, figure Wilton. So I had to cut him out to make it a little more entertaining.
0: But wow, that's
2: that's wow. crazy.
1: That's a good way to wrap up the episode. That's some good trivia right there, Sam. Yeah. I don't even know how you find something like that. Stat Muse—they got it I all like covered. That. If any of our listeners knew any of those guys, that's very impressive because I think. Devin Booker was the only one I would have got. So.
2: I would have got Booker and Jordan, but definitely hey, not the your, other
0: two. How about your old? How about your old man getting George Gervin? That was like that was a good pull yeah, right there. A, I could not believe that. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah. I'm cool. yeah. I get zoned on that perk if I move, I'ma throw it. I'm at the top with them knots in my hand, but look, please understand if he run, I get done. I hit his neck from the back and I'm all in attack. My arms be popping like acne shit like a track. me and I'm pulling off in that scat I just made a deal with the dead, told the people that I needed my wealth so my soul that's that Oh well, all in hell all by myself you know that this shit get legit,
0: by that pressure we up in it quick if you live by your die by the stick, it's still R.I.P. past but I'm sick gotta get one to take when they fail, cause I'm wishing my brother would heal 100 right, put it right to the hill, so we fast in the GC, going with the wind the girl since she seen me my dad